Glad you're excited. I'm excited. I drank a pot of coffee this morning, so we'll see how this goes. We're going to be in the book of Habakkuk today. We're actually going to be doing kind of an overview of this Old Testament prophet book. And so I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at different segments throughout. We'll look at part of chapter 1, part of chapter 2, and the conclusion part of chapter 3. And we'll basically be looking at the bookends uh, of, the, uh, of the, the prophet's writing. Um, as uh, Philip had shared earlier this morning, I encourage you to pray for Eric as he is leading revival services and that the Lord will speak through him and that uh, the congregation, whoever they might be, um, are able to receive the word in such a way that it doesn't become just head knowledge, but it becomes application. And, and so uh, we do want to pray for him as he goes through those services um, this week. But I want to share something with you. Now, many of you remember the early 90s very well. I remember them very well. Some of you that are Redskins fans remember them really, really well, right? It was the last time you had a winning season. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it was the last time that you won a Super Bowl, if I'm correct. The reason why I remember that is because the NFL playoffs at that time in my life played a different role than it had before. In, in 1990, 1991, I was transitioning from elementary school to middle school, so I just dated myself a little bit. For some of you are thinking, man, he is young. Others of you are thinking, man, is he old. So depending on how you, you view that, I remember the, the early 90s because my life had drastically changed as I was kind of an awkward kid growing up. I'm now an awkward adult, but um, sometimes I'm an adult, but... But I was an awkward kid, and, and I really didn't connect well. I was nervous standing in front of people. I was very self-conscious. I thought everyone would make fun of me. I didn't speak very well. I had a Kentucky dialect, if you will. And, and, I, and I, I made up my own words sometimes and, and spoke very, 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 very hickish. And so I was very self-conscious because I thought everyone's going to make fun of me or laugh at me or whatever. So as I was transitioning from elementary school uh, into middle school, I kind of had made that decision in my life that I was going to be a different person. Like, I was going to, to, to be a little bit more outgoing. I was going to be a little bit more in the front. I didn't want to just hide away. And I never remember actually consciously thinking about that. Like, I want, to, I want to improve where I am. And then sixth grade happened. My awkward self goes into school, and the first couple of months of school were unique in some sense because as I was going to classes every day and as I would get off the school bus and on the school bus every day, there was a, a, a pain that was in my hip. And so I talked to my parents and, and to other folks and they had just said, hey, it's growing pains, this happens, it happens to everyone. So I said, okay. So I, I kept walking and kept playing sports and kept doing the things that I did, but there was this intense pain and it did not go away. Well, my mom was actually behind a school bus one day as I was getting off from it as I was heading home, and my mom saw me kind of take a step off from the bus, and I kind of went to my knees. And so she pulled in right behind me. I had no idea she was there, and she said, get in the car. We're going to the doctor. And I said, okay. So I got in the car, sixth grade year. I'm still awkward, unique in my own right. I go to the doctor with this pain in my hip, and the doctor looks at me and says, we're going to take x-rays, and came back soon afterwards and said, I've got uh, bad news. You're going to have to have hip surgery. What had happened is my um, hip had, had uh, slipped in such a way that my femur, my large part of my leg here, was not in its proper place. And every time that I, I would walk, it would grind. And that's what that piercing pain was. 
He said that the positive thing is it's correctable and we can fix it, but you're going to have to go through surgery. For a sixth grader, that was a big deal. Here I was already kind of unique in my own right, but now all of a sudden I'm being removed from school because they told me this isn't just going to be some casual surgery. And for those of you that have had hip troubles or, or hip surgeries, you know it's painful. And you also know that there's a process of being able to even walk again. And so after the surgery, I ended up going through lots of physical therapy, started out in a wheelchair, was able to make myself to, to, to move around on crutches a little bit, and eventually was able to, to regain my strength, to walk again. And so I remember the NFL playoffs that year because I, I laid in that, that bed, not able to move around as I watched people run around on the field. And I thought, God, how, how unfair this is. You know, here are these guys that are playing football, they're doing their thing, and, and, and my goal in, in life at that time was I thought I was going to be a professional athlete. And so I said, you know, this is being taken away from me. And so what they ended up doing, and I still have them today, was they ended up putting three screws in my hip. Zzz, 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 right there. And so I walked, was able to get back to walking, got back to a regular life. Seventh grade came. Started walking to school, to the bus, back and forth, playing sports again, and started to feel the same pain in my other leg. I knew immediately what it was. I knew that sharp pain in my leg. I knew the pain that I'd gone through getting these bad boys put into my hip, and I knew it was coming again. So in seventh grade, I had surgery again, and at this point, they had three screws in, in this hip, and three screws in that hip, and all the time I'm missing school and I'm falling behind, struggling. So finally able to walk again, right? Like any eighth grader should. And I'm, and I'm finally thinking, okay, we're worse, the, the worst is over, we're good to go now, no big deal. Went to the doctor for the checkup. Doctor said, guess what? The good news is your hip is healing, both of them. Bad news is we've got to take these screws out. The bone is growing over it. And I remember thinking to myself, why? I just want to be a normal kid. I just want to do what normal kids do. And I was so frustrated with God. And even though I wasn't a believer then, I knew enough about God to be mad. Some of you have been there. And so I went through the this, this surgery, and they removed these screws, which I hold today. And finally, I thought the worst was over. And about six months after that surgery, I started having a sharp pain in my right hip again. And I knew the pain. Went to the doctor, and they said, we've got to put the screws back in. And I remember coming in a sense, to my knees, though I was in a hospital bed and couldn't walk, but I remember coming to my knees in my own mind saying, God, why? Why would you do this to me? I am just fine the way that I was before all this happened, and instead you have brought this into my life. How long is this going to last? Am I going to be one of these individuals that's constantly in the hospital, constantly going through surgeries? Is that who I'm going to be? Habakkuk had a lot of the same questions on a different format. As we look through Habakkuk as he communicates to God and he asks questions and he says, why is this occurring? How long is this going to last? Let us look as 
Habakkuk's heart is changed by God, that he's able to see differently in light of his circumstances. If you have your scriptures, turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 1. We'll start in verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Let us pray. Father, as we examine our own lives today, in light of this scripture, we can see that there is injustice everywhere and that, that it is perverted and it is skewed and the world is in chaos. We look at our own hearts and see that our own lives are in chaos. This morning, my prayer is that we are able to learn as Habakkuk learned in his day, that we can find, find it within ourselves through your strength to praise you well to worship you well, and to love you well. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. So Habakkuk has, has come to this place where he is communicating to God. And sometimes in the headings above the scripture, it'll give you kind of an idea of what's happening. And you'll see Habakkuk's complaint. So he's complaining to God. Now what has ended up happening is he has come before God and he is saying, things right now are bad. Injustice is everywhere. God's people had turned their back in such a way that the law was paralyzed because they didn't pay attention to God's word. They were just kind of doing whatever they wanted. The people that were wealthy were taking advantage of the poor. Those that had high uh, social class within their uh, culture were taking advantage of those that were lower in social class. And so Habakkuk comes to God and says, hey, how long is this going to last and why is this occurring? Why are you standing idly by as these injustices take place? And so he asked this question, and something that's kind of different with Habakkuk from a lot of the Old Testament prophet books is that usually the prophet would speak on behalf of God to the people. Habakkuk is different that he is speaking to God on behalf of the people. It's different. And so he's asking God, in the circumstances in which we live, in the culture, Financially, things are in turmoil. Things are not looking good for us. People are being taken advantage of. Habakkuk is, is looking up and he sees God, but he sees it through his circumstance. Just like when I was having my hip surgeries and constantly in and out of the hospital, I looked at my circumstances and that's what I saw first. I didn't really see God for who he was. I saw only what I was experiencing at that moment. As chaos was going around my own life, Habakkuk is saying chaos is taking place within all of Judah. This is bad. God, why aren't you doing something about it? Do you, do you not care? Do you not see? Why do you allow this violence to take place? So often we can find ourselves looking through the lenses, if you will, of our circumstances to God. Not seeing him for who he is but only by our experiences. Things go well for me, I see God better. If things don't go well for me, I don't see him as well. And so Habakkuk 
brings this complaint and says, God, where are you? With the violence and the injustice that is occurring within society, why aren't you doing something about it? In that same respect, you see in the scriptures where it says cry out and cry to. This isn't just some passive like request from Habakkuk. This would symbolize that this has gone through a period of time. So it's not just like things are bad today, therefore I'll come to you, God. Things had been bad for a while. And he finally comes and says, my heart is crying out to you. Do you hear me? Do you see? This is not some flippant response or request or question that Habakkuk is, is, is presenting to God. This is something that he has longed for and understanding. Why is this happening and how long will it last? How long? With that being said, we seeing God through circumstances in light of God's word. Now, Habakkuk went to God with his request. What tends to happen in our own lives sometimes is when things go bad or our circumstances aren't what they, we thought or hoped that they might be, we want to run to a self-help book where somebody has a really nice smiling picture in a suit in front of it. <laughs> Ways to be happy. Follow my steps. And we think if my circumstances are bad, if they're difficult, if I just go to this self-help and I do these seven steps or ten steps or I go to this conference or I go to that conference or I do this or I do that, that, that I'll just be happy and I'll be content with whatever it is. But, but those don't satisfy. See, Habakkuk goes directly to the source. He says, okay, God, I, why is this happening? How long is this going to last Give me some information. Give me details. Now, Habakkuk is asking a question, and the Lord is gracious. Though he's not obligated, he is gracious, and he gives a response. And he says, good news. If you were to continue reading in chapter 1, he says, the good news is this. You're getting ready to be destroyed by the Babylonians. <laughs> you ever asked the question that you really didn't want that answer, and you were kind of hoping for something else, and maybe you even regret asking the question to begin with? I remember I was trying out in between my surgeries in my freshman year of high school, I went to try out for our basketball team in our high school because I was going to be the next athlete. I had, I'm the next Michael Jordan. You all don't know it. Neither did our coaches because as we went through this tryout, there were 97 um, kids that showed up for two open spots on our basketball team. So I'm still thinking I've got a chance, right? One in a million, right? So I show up and I work hard and and the coaches had us running up and down the floor and had us, they would draw up plays and we would simulate games and they would see if we knew our cues and where to pass it, where to set the picks, where to, how to do things. And so the first, the first day of cuts come, three days into this two-week tryout. Three people's names get called. I'm one of them. I'm thinking I'm getting a promotion. I'm getting an opportunity to run with the first team, right? No. Coach called me over and said, you three, um, we appreciate your effort in, in trying out for this, but we're going we're gonna to let you go home and you don't have to come back anymore. So I walked away and I was headed toward the showers and I kind of stopped. And I've always had that mentality of I want to be better at whatever I do. I want to grow. I want to I become a, a better person, a better athlete, a better whatever. And, and so I turned around. I'll never forget it. And I went back to Coach Boone and I went back to him and I said, what could I have done better? How, why am I cut today? And he said, it's very simple. You're no good. 
There's nowhere to go from there, right? Okay. So I remember walking back to that locker room thinking, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to make the team. Of course, I never did. That, that would be an after-school special of some sort. Never, never made the team. He was right. I really wasn't that good. And so, but I, I didn't want that answer. I wanted him to say, yeah, come back next year and you've got a real shot at this. Instead, he gave me an answer that I didn't want. Habakkuk is asking God, how long is this going to last? Why, why is your justice not coming? And God said, my justice is coming. It's coming in the form of the Babylonians. Just to give you an idea of culturally what is happening at that time, Assyria had become a very large empire. They had really forced themselves to take over societies. They had grown. They were big. But the Babylonians were a small group that was growing at that time. And the Assyrians were ruthless individuals. The Babylonians were even known as being more wicked. And what would happen with the Babylonians as they grew in strength and grew in power and took over lands, what they would do is they would not just take over an area, but they would embarrass and they would crush the people. They would crush them in such a way to say, we are in charge here, you're doing it our way. So what would often happen is they would mutilate the people that they took as captives. They would do this to the leaders, and they would put them in carts that were almost like little circus cages, and they would parade them through the towns, and their mutilated leaders would be in there, and they would say, we're in charge here. We're the ones that are now telling you what to do. Any questions, right? And everybody's like, no, no, you're in, you're in charge. We'll go with you. And so Habakkuk gets this response from God. It says, Here's the good news. Justice is coming. It's coming in the form of the Babylonians. And Habakkuk says, this doesn't make any sense. How, how could you allow the more wicked punish the less wicked? How, do, how does this make sense? It doesn't work. It's not my way. We can learn from this in such a way that if we truly believe in a God who is sovereign over all things, we may not get things our way. And we have to be okay with that. And so he says, Habakkuk, it's not going to be your way. It's going to be my way. I, as God, will say what is going to take place and how justice is going to be rendered. And it's coming in the form, it's coming in the form of the Babylonians. Habakkuk in confusion, not knowing what to think, not knowing what to do at that moment. He continues to ask questions. In Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 2, the Lord says this, And the Lord answered me, Write this vision, make it plain on the tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. God says, you want justice, Habakkuk. You're asking for something to take place in our culture in this day, in this moment, as chaos is existing. Justice is coming. It's coming at my time. It's coming at my way. It's kind of that old adage in a sense that says that the wheels of justice grind slow, but they grind fine. And God is saying to him, trust me, I'm in control. 
a hard place for us. Many of us, we live for comfort. We buy things that bring us comfort. We place ourselves in situations that we will be comfortable. And we don't want to be placed in a situation where we're going to have difficulty or strife or suffering. We want comfort. And God says, it's not coming your way. It's coming my way. And you've got to be okay with that because it's going to happen anyways. Now, my wife and I were talking yesterday afternoon, just kind of reviewing over the scripture and talking about this morning. And she said, don't mess it up. And I said, okay, I won't. And so, but she didn't say that. I'm just picking. But she's here and I just want to clarify. So, but she said, it's kind of like looking at a, if you go to an art museum, some of you that are cultured know what an art museum is. And so you go into an art museum and there's sometimes really big paintings. And if you go stand really close to the painting, like you can see brush strokes. And if you just stare at those brush strokes, you can kind of get an idea maybe of what color was used or, or maybe a line that's been drawn out. But it's not until you take a step back and look at the big picture before you can really see what the artist is, is, is putting together. See, so often in our lives, we stand this close to the painting and we only see the brush strokes for that moment in our life. And sometimes those circumstances don't look the way that we think that they, they should. But God is seeing a bigger picture here. God is seeing the whole. And though we see in part and we know in part and we experience in part, and even what we experience is really fuzzy, we don't see clearly. God's in control, and he says, it will be my way, that's it. Habakkuk, whether you like it or not, the Babylonians are going to execute justice, and then I'll take care of them also. You don't worry about it. You've got to trust me. The righteous shall live by faith, he says. By faith. We have to come to this place of understanding that when those difficulties and circumstances happen, we have to turn to God. We have to come to a place of trusting the Lord's character and his faithfulness and trusting his sovereignty that he does see the big picture even though we don't. And if suffering and if him rendering justice comes in the form of the Babylonians or whatever it might be in the trials of our life, we say, God, You've been faithful. We have no reason to doubt you. We will come to you and submit to you. And this is exactly what happens in Habakkuk's heart. Seeing God beyond my experiences. See, if we get stuck in such a way that we only see our circumstances and we don't see beyond the circumstances, we can become very bitter people. Because what can happen is we can say, well, if things don't work out well in my life or the way that I want them to, this is what I'm going to hold on to. And I see in a distorted lens that says, you're not faithful, God. Or I see in this distorted lens that says, I'm not going to worship you because I don't feel like it. I see through a distorted lens that doesn't allow me to see God for who he really is. And if we've remained stuck in our circumstances and we do not see beyond that, then we really won't see God. 
This is what he does to close out his, his writing. Turn to verse 17 in chapter 3. This is, what, this is what Habakkuk says. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk did not understand God's timing and God's way. But from starting out in chapter 1 with a complaint to God about his circumstances... He closes out his writing by saying, I'm going to trust. I'm seeing beyond my circumstances of today. I'm seeing beyond the, the, the problems that I'm dealing with, the, the issues that I'm facing, beyond whatever. I'm looking beyond those things so I can see you. Now, many of you don't have a lot of cattle, I'm guessing, at your house. Probably a Virginia Beach or Norfolk City ordinance against it. There's not, there should be. There's no space here. And so you don't have a lot of cattle necessarily. Some of you that live out, you may have farms. I kind of grew up on a farm, so I was around a lot of animals and sense. But in the Old Testament, like farms and cattle were a big deal in wealth and security. So if you had a lot of cows or a lot of sheep, it showed that you were a wealthy individual. If you had a, a lot of land and you had large crops, it showed that you were a person of status. Habakkuk comes and says, though the crops fail, though there be nothing in the herd, nothing in the stalls, everything that I find my comfort in, I will still rejoice in the Lord. Though the Babylonians are coming to execute justice, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. What a change from chapter 1 to chapter 3, wouldn't you say? He went from a complaint of why are you not doing it this way to saying, God, I'll trust you. I'll give it all to you. Now, if we were to modernize this a little bit and put our own words in here, it could come out a lot of different ways. We could say, though the car didn't start, though my electric bill is incredibly high, though my bank account is empty, though my health is failing me, though I didn't get what I thought that I deserved, when I received a furlough from my work of unpaid vacation time, when I lose my job, when my family turns their back on me, when the things that I find that are comfortable collapse up on me, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation because I don't worship my circumstances. I worship the Lord. Habakkuk has a completely new understanding where his heart has shifted. 
Now, I tell you this because sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, and then my sophomore year, this is how I saw God. I looked through the lens of distortion and circumstance and said, this is what I hold on to. And it wasn't until years later that I took my heart off my own selfishness and a sense of understanding that though I may have suffered what I consider to be injustice with these screws, my God took on my sin that he did not deserve in the form of three nails on a cross. New perspective. Though my hips fail me, though things collapse around me, the decision that we have to make is whether or not we will look at our circumstances and bow before them, or we will look at the God of our salvation and bow before Him. We cannot worship God in a sense that we say, if things go well for me, I'll worship God then. And if things don't go well for me, then I won't worship Him. Or, when I have abundance, I'll give. And when I don't have anything, then I'll withhold everything. The righteous will live by faith. And though everything else may fail, the question will become, do you find your greatest satisfaction in Jesus or do you find it in something else? Do you find it in the Lord of our salvation or do you find it in comforts that are temporary that will not last? Here in just a moment, you're going to have ministers that will be available. You may not have gone through the hip surgeries and have scars and have screws to hold up to say, this is where I am. But you may be dealing with some difficulty in your own life where you feel like you're walking alone. And you say, I just, I don't know what to do next. I need someone to pray for me. I need somebody to walk with me. Ministers are going to be down front. And I'm going to encourage you to come down. And if you need prayer over something, that you come to them and say, please pray over me. If you're looking for someone to walk through your circumstance, whatever it might be, and you say, I need to connect in with a body, then I'm going to encourage you to come and join this church. And we are a bunch of imperfect people. I promise you. I work with them all the time. <laughs> but, the, but the truth of it is this. Though we are imperfect people, we serve a perfect God. And though as we gather together and you say, I need someone to walk with me, I need somebody to go down this pathway with me, we want to do that as a church, and I encourage you to connect in with a life group so that you can do it in a small setting, so that you can hold each other accountable and also walk through life circumstances. The truth of it is, there is someone here this morning that right now you're holding on to your circumstances. And maybe you hold it into a fist and you hold it up at God, and you say, why and how long? And this morning, my challenge to you is to take that thing that you're holding on to, and you lay it at the altar and say, God, I submit myself to you. I don't hold on to my circumstance. I will hold fast to you. I will not rejoice in the things of the world. I will rejoice 
and the God of my salvation. It doesn't matter where you are this morning. The challenge is for you. Will you find your greatest satisfaction in Jesus Christ or will you look through a distorted lens and live in disappointment? The choice is ours. Bow at the cross or bow to our circumstances.